Good afternoon and welcome to Acting Up, an hour of resistance radio that explores the movements that made us, drawing from the activist archives through to the voices of resistance today. Before we start the show, I'd just like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting from Stolen Lands, the Stolen Lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I would like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty has never been ceded. My name's Em, and I'm really excited to be bringing you the first show in a series of retrospectives looking at the incredible history of Friends of the Earth here in so-called Australia. Friends of the Earth is the world's largest grassroots environmental network, active on every continent, and we campaign on today's most urgent environmental and social issues, challenging the current model of economic and corporate neoliberal globalisation and working towards environmental and social justice. So we've got a weekly show that's on on Tuesday mornings. It's called Dirt Radio. That's where we bring you updates from our grassroots campaigns and stories from our allies. But for the next couple of months, we're going to be presenting this afternoon show. This year at Friends of the Earth, we are celebrating 45 years of resistance. That's 45 years we've been mobilising communities, resisting the oppressive forces from patriarchy to nuclear racism and transforming our future towards a more just world for all. So over the series, I'm going to be taking you through the politics of the time over our 45 years of campaigning, what we did and why it's still important. And of course, we couldn't start a retrospective of Friends of the Earth without looking at the obvious place to start, which is the anti-nuclear campaign. So today we're going to take a look at the organisation with some of the origin stories all the way back into the 1970s and we're going to be talking to some important people who've been involved with Friends of the Earth's longest running campaign against the nuclear industry. All that coming up, we're just going to pay, play a quick CSA and we'll be back after that. Spring into Gardening is back. Hosted by Gardening Australia's Costa Georgiatis, celebrating sustainability and all things green for one day only. Featuring free workshops and demonstrations, hands-on kids' activities and over 35 market stalls to get you in the garden and thinking about sustainable living this October. Spring into Gardening, Sunday, October 13 at Victoria Gardens, Paran. See the City of Stonington website for details. A 3CR supporter. You're on 3CR. This is Acting Up with Friends of the Earth's 45 Years of Resistance show. Joining me today in the studio is Isla Marks, and later we're going to be also speaking with Linda Marks and Dave Sweeney. All three of these people have been involved in various stages of the anti-nuclear campaign at Friends of the Earth. So we're going to start the show by chatting with Isla about some of the stories of the early days of FOE. How are you going today, Isla? Oh, terrific. Uh, great, and it's... Uh Exciting to be in here. 45 years. It's, it's hard, hard to believe that the foe's been around that long. It's terrific, isn't it? It's pretty amazing. It feels pretty good. So you weren't around in the very early days of foe in the 1970s, but you do know some of the stories. Yes, I suppose I'm, I'm the link to those early days, or a link. Um, I, I got involved in Friends of the Earth and um, activism in the, uh, the um, 18... at the 1983 Roxby blockade, and mm. I got involved in that through the movement against uranium mining. But I did know about Friends of the Earth, and, and I had it, always had an interest in nuclear and peace issues. Mm. And um, going up to the blockade just seemed to be a way of that the blockade at Roxby, a way of linking all those issues that that I found troubling. There was there was peace, uh, nuclear issues, indigenous issues, and uh, and activism. It all seemed to go together so well, and. Um, it was something quite new, new mm. to me, and I think it was new to a lot of other people, but those blockades, there were over 600 people, and that they lasted for nearly two weeks. And uh, between 83 and 84, there were a group of people who stayed behind and, um, and stayed there the whole year. And mm. um, Friends of the Earth, we kept in contact with them continually as well. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, um, some of those creative and incredible actions that were happening out in the desert. Yes. So in terms of you you kind of got to know Friends of the Earth at the blockades. Yes. And do you know much of the stories of before the blockades, what was going on at Friends of the Earth in that time? Well, yes, I know that um, that 
Friends of the Earth, it was Fitzroy, but now it's Friends of the Earth Melbourne, um, uranium or anti-uranium and nuclear issues were the dominant issues right throughout the 70s. Um, there were other campaigns like whaling, of course, but the dominant issue was um, anti-nuclear. And um, it was a time when the ranger uranium mine was um, getting its approvals to go ahead. And that, that was, um, and Friends of the Earth played a really important part in working extremely hard to, um, to have that mine not go ahead. In fact, the first EIS that, that they put out um, was, was so, that's the, that the company put out to have the mine approved was so poor and Friends of the Earth's submission was so good that they had to put out another environmental impact statement. Um, But uh, as history tells us, we know that that uranium mine went ahead. And Dave Mm. Sweeney can give us a big update on that later on in the show. Um, So so that that was one of the... um, that, that was one of the main campaigns. Also, I know there was a big bike ride in um, 77 mm. where over 150 people um, rode their bikes from, from um, Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide to Canberra as an um, anti, anti-uranium protest, and that, that was a really big thing. And they didn't just ride their bikes and, and get there. They stopped and had meetings in every uh, town, small and large, along the way. And also people were very wel- welcomed them welcomed them to their town and people were billeted and looked after in homes and church halls and, and other places. Um, another in, in the 70s, um, uh, we didn't have um, computers then mm. and so if you wanted to get your message out, it had to be by, you had to write something and publish it in a book and that's, that's what Friends of the Earth did quite a lot of. There was a publication called um, Green Light for Yellow Cake that um, looks, Red Light for Yellow Cake, thank you. That, that is the case against uranium mining. Mm. And there was another publication um, called um, The Nuclear Environment, and that was actually a book produced for secondary schools. Wow. And, um, and I know that um, many thousands of copies were, were um, published, and um, many, many, many secondary schools had class sets of that book. So it was a really pertinent issue mm. in the 70s, and Friends of the Earth um, was one of the organisations that um, um, made that, come to people's minds. Um, another thing that happened in the 70s, um, we, we know that um, the anti-uranium um, activists now um, work closely with Indigenous people that, whose land the mines and the waste dumps want to be on. Um, but that, that's not something new. That happened mm. right back in the 70s when when people went up to Ranger, just drove a car up to Ranger to, to speak to the Indigenous people up there about what was happening with the mine. And um, it, I've heard it told that the Indigenous people didn't want the mine to go ahead and they were really pleased to, to find other people that were like-minded and the uh, people from Friends of the Earth were really excited that they were meeting uh, people mm. like-minded as well. Yeah. But um, that was a big way, to, a, a long way to go in those days with roads weren't what they are and even our cars weren't as good as what people drive now. So that was a big thing. Mm. And um, so a liaising with other groups, um, there's a lot of liaising with trade unions mm. and um, local communities and other environment groups is something that we've always done and that happened in the 70s as well. Mm. It's pretty exciting and um feels pretty special to know that some of those practices that, you know, are so important to Friends of the Earth's practice even today were established even in those early days and those have, you know, been a really important foundation for the organisation, I think. Yes, yes, I think it's, I think it's to their credit that um, and it, and it's, it, it's, just, it's just something that happens automatically now. It's, it's not mm. something that you have to think about. You, you know that if you're going to go um, to, to onto Aboriginal land, you've got to go and speak to people to ask where you can go and ask where you can camp, and um, and speak with them, find find out about what's important to them, and and um, and have an exchange of views. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, how would you describe the political climate at the time when you started to get involved with some of these issues? Um, it, it, this is something that Dave might be able to come in on. Um, there was a, um, a lot of debate at that time in the ALP about whether they should have an anti-uranium policy or not, and, um, and they did have an anti-uranium policy for a while, and, um, and then um, there was a lot, a lot of um, uh, debate within the organisation, and uh, activists were, were strongly campaigning and putting their voice into 
whoever would listen to them within the ALP opposing expanding their uranium policy. Um, but what happened in Bob Hawke's time was that they changed their anti-uranium policy to a three mines policy, and that allowed the, uh, rain, the um, Roxby uranium mine to go ahead, which is the biggest uranium mine in the world. So that was one we, um, we fought, unfortunately, unfortunately, we lost that one. Mm. Yeah. We might hear from Dave now. How are you going, Dave? I'm very good, thanks, Em. I'm very yeah. happy to be here, and it's uh, it's great. Yeah, look, you, you mentioned before about um, constants, and there are mm. a lot of constants. Um, and you know, a lot of the fights, if you, if you look, and a lot of the struggles and the and the choices um, the, of 1975 aren't too different from 2019. The technology is the tool, some of the language, mm. but you know, like if if you look at the early and the continuing faux stuff, it's driven by like um, value choices. You know, like value choices around respect, respect for the First Nations of this nation and mm. respect for um, the future, um, neither of which the nuclear industry um, embodies. And um, so if you look at uh, a lot of the positioning, you know, in at the start of FOE's engagement in, um, in anti-nuclear work, it was Kakadu was a real focus to mm. stop mining in Kakadu. Um, what FOE and others are doing now is working to get... The, the the uranium mining chapter and era in Kakadu is over. It's over today as we speak. What it is all about now is cleanup, and so we've seen it from uh, broken promises, changed legislation, imposed mining, through to um, a company exiting before time, um, projects being stopped because of effective collaborations, respectful collaborations with Mirar traditional owners and Jock traditional owners and others, and um, and environment and civil society groups. Um, so it's, it is really interesting, like it's that sort of thing of stay in the one place and see the world go round, um, for good or ill. And I think a lot that you look at foes' successes, um, particularly the wider anti-nuclear movement successes as well, and it's sort of the absence of negatives. It's like mm. this would be a littered landscape of national and international radioactive waste dumps, failing reactors and leaking former and, and current mines. And we're in a country with a really, very strongly, Emma, rip it up, ship it up mm. culture. And we've got 35, 40% of the world's uranium here. And we're exporting less every year. And every single project is under sustained community pressure. It doesn't have social license at all. And there has just been decades of this sustained, you know, um, David v. Goliath-style struggles. And, mm. and people collectively are, are constraining this industry and turning it around from us powering, uh, you know, um, nuclear power here and overseas to us um, starting to think about clean energy options. Mm. But then, you know, it comes around again... Scott Morrison gets re-elected miraculously in May and suddenly we've have got inquiries about domestic nuclear power and that. So it's, it's like anyone involved in social change. You think you've won. Mm. It's like the sort of SBS movie, you know. The beast is dead, the villagers start lighting, you know, torches and partying and then the final scene is the beast push open the, you know, the coffin and the, or the you know, <laughs> creepy shadow in the castle. And the nuclear industry is like that, but it's not just the nuclear free movement that feels that. Like so many of us, you work hard, you advance a case, you prosecute a case through politics, through argument, through action, and um, and you win, or you seem to. And then there's a you know a revision. History comes around, and there's a you know let's take away these rights, let's strip workers' rights, let's take hard-won things that have been here and part of the fibre of the country for many years. So I suppose the thing is eternal vigilance, you know. Mm. And that's one thing about foe. Foe is consistent, it's constant, it's grounded in the community, it's got a, a credibility that comes from turning up, from yeah. actually turning up. And, um, and not going away. Um, and, and I love its name too. That's one thing too that always appealed to me about Foe because it's heads and tails. It's both sides of it. You know, it's like the old, you know, sentry at the castle thing, friend or foe. Because it's friend of the earth or foe. You know, yeah. which side are you on? And so those choices, I like the way Foe, not in an aggressive way, but makes it a bit polemic and, and highlights those choices. And so for you, Dave, were you also coming into the faux like anti-nuclear space through Roxby as well? Was that your entry point? Yeah, it was. I was I was in student politics and I got into environmental politics largely through the Roxby blockade in 83. Mm. 
Um, and so that was my entry point, and it's you know that's that that mine and that whole complicated circumstance is still part of my world. Now I work now with um, ACF, the Australian Conservation Foundation, as a nuclear free campaigner, and have for a considerable time. Um, and ACF and FO have you know very much a um, um, a, a very strong working relationship and have for a long time. But, you know, Roxby is still an issue. Um, so I suppose I, I came in with Roxby and then saw, you know, increasingly industrial and political labour politics. And the 90s was sort of um, campaigning around um, South Australia, not so much Roxby then, it still was, but it was also new proposals and, and Beverly and Honeymoon and the 1996 election of the Howard government was like this unzipping of the constraints on uranium. Mm. Um, and then there was also big uh, uh, issues around um, Kakadu with the push for Jabaluka, yes, yeah. you know, which was a standalone massive fight. And mm. so I suppose, you know, increasingly too, and what's happened is that our work with decoupling Australia from the nuclear cycle here has also had to increasingly increased work, not just about the front end, the dig it up, shovel it, the fuel in the form of uranium, but the back end too. How do you manage the waste? Mm, and absolutely, yeah. So that's been the big fights of this century. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And so both of you, Isla and Dave, have mentioned Roxby, and I think that, you know, in activist circles, it's kind of got a bit of a um, mythology around it and people know about it. But for listeners out there who might not know about the Roxby blockades, do you want to give us a bit of a, a brief history of what that was all about? Do you want to, Isla, do you want to? Yeah, yes, yes, yeah, sure. Um, well, the... Um, the, the ALP, um, we, we wanted to keep the ALP strong to their... Um, to their no new uranium mine poli- no new uranium mines policy, and, and the blockades were sending a message to them to um, to, to make sure that Roxby didn't go ahead. But um, as I said, there was a, a lot a lot of shenanigans at a particular ALP conference where there was a, a uh, they changed the, they called it the Hogg Amendment to mm. the uranium policy, and that was where they allowed three mines to go ahead, and that was Ranger, Roxby, and Mary Kathleen. And, um, uh, and the, the thing about the Roxby blockades was that it was um, a lot of people had never been to the desert before, mm. and um, it was a big thing to get um, those 600 people with all their cars and um, and and to, to organise it. And the way it was organised, it was it was different to the way um, we'd been used to organ. Oh, I'd, I'd used to things had been organised before, in that we used affinity groups, and that that was. Um, uh, really interesting. So um, we like people just take all those, a lot of those things for granted now. And we, before you, you could um, your affinity group to go to Rox, could go to Roxby. We'd had had non-violence training, mm. and, um, and then we also had in the, our affinity groups we thought about different actions we could do with your group of people that you trusted and you knew how to work with. And um, like you know all the actions that are happening this this week. Um, it, it, uh, they're organised in, in a similar way, but um, back in the um, in '83 and '84, that that was all a bit new to us, mm. and um, so we were all on a very large learning curve. And some of the actions were just amazing. Um, uh, we were told by um, the, the uh, indigenous people that it was sleepy lizard country, so we had a big sleepy lizard that um, that went, went onto the mine site. And um, we, we were doing all um, and we had a women's action. We were doing all sorts of artistic and, and, and we thought inventive ways of showing our opposition to the to the nuclear fuel cycle, just as people are doing this week um, with the with with climate change and all the other things that are happening now. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing to see that kind of creative spirit all through time. Um, I wonder if now might be maybe a good time to go to a song, give ourselves a little break. So maybe we might hear from Kev Carmody. Now we've got From Little Things, Big Things Grow. Did anyone want to have a just a mention about what that song meant to them at the time when it came out? Do you wanna, we've got Linda here as well, Linda Marks. How are you going, Linda? Oh, hi, hi, Anne. It's, it's really good. It is really good to be here. Yeah. Um, it, it, Isla and Dave have been talking about um, a time before I joined the Anti-Uranium Collective, but uh, these, these are all my myth stories as well, mm. uh, as well as yours. But, but this one, of course, goes back to land rights, and um, which has been a core. And as has already been said, that uh, most of the well, most of testing and most of the uranium mining happens on Aboriginal land. So yeah. that's the, that's why this song has to be included. Great. Well, let's hear it. Mm. 
Oh, well, let's get this in one. Yeah, yeah, oh, we get a spot on. Six, five, four, three, two, one. Gather round, people. I tell you a story, an eight-year-long story, power and pride. British Lord Festy to Vincent Langari for opposite men on opposite sides. Vesti was fat with money and muscle. Beef was his business, broad was his door. Vincent was lean, spoke very little. He had no bank balance. Our dirt was his floor From little things, big things grow From little things, big things grow Gurinji were working Nothing but rushing Once they had gathered the wealth of the land Daily depression got tighter and tighter. Gurinji decided they must make a stand. They picked up their swags, started off walking. At Woody Creek, they sat themselves down. Now it don't sound like much, but it sure got tongues talking. Back at the homestead and then in the town. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. Best in said, I double your wages. Seven quid a week you have in your hand. Vincent said, uh-uh, we're not talking about wages. We're sitting right here till we get our lane. Bestie man road, bestie man thunder. You don't stand a chance of a cinder in snow. Vincent, if we fall, others are rising. From little things, big things grow. From Then Vincent Lignari, he boarded an airplane, landed in Sydney, big city of life. Daily he went round, softly speaking his story to all kinds of men from all walks of life. Vincent sat down with their big politicians. This affair they told him, it's a matter of state. Let us sort it out. Why are people hungry? Vincent said, no thanks, we know how to wait. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. Then Vincent Lignari returned in an airplane. Back to his country, once more to sit down. He told his people, let the stars keep on turning. We have friends in the south, in the cities and towns. Eight years went by, eight long years of waiting. So one day a tall stranger appeared in the land. And he came with lawyers, came with great ceremony. Through Vincent's fingers Bought a handful of sand From little things Big things grow From little things Big things grow You are listening to 3CR. This is M. I am here presenting Act Up. 
45 years of creative resistance at Friends of the Earth. We're celebrating Friends of the Earth's 45th year's birthday this year, and we've got a bit of a retrospective series looking into our history and some of the creative actions and campaigns that have shaped who we are today. If you are just joining me, I am joined in the studio by Isla Marks, Linda Marks and Dave Sweeney and we are chatting about Friends of the Earth's origins with the anti-nuclear campaign starting all the way back in the 1970s and we thought we'd start off this whole section with Linda giving us a bit of an insight into how you got involved into the campaign. Well, uh, thanks, Em. Well, I've been living in England for many years and came back to Australia at the end of 1985 and uh, but I'd heard from Isla through her letters. Remember letters? Remember snail mail? <laughs> through her letters about the Roxby campaigns and things that she'd been writing for various faux um, uh, publications. And I was feeling uh, quite um, excited by all that in this news because I'd been, um, I suppose, encouraged to get involved in activism myself. Uh, due to the anti-basis stuff that was happening in England at the time because, I mean, they, they had all those uh, missiles in the, the various bases and it was uh, Greenham Common, of course, was, was really huge. And so I, would, I was going up there, not, not as a... Um, well, I suppose as a, a day visitor, really, <laughs> but I was watching people get arrested and were tearing down fences and tying baby things to fences and all that sort of thing, which was pretty wild. Uh, one of the most one of the most fantastic things I did was go to Upper Hayford where we embraced the base, so everybody holding hands and actually encircling that base. So when I came back, I started going to the anti-uranium collective meetings down at uh, 366 Smith Street, which were for me never having done any of that sort of pointy end activism was was pretty wild. And one of the first things I was involved in was an actually an arrestable action. And because you don't go into these things lightly, people, people don't really want to get arrested. Although I was uh, listening to Roger Hallam the other day who said, it's, it's no big deal, it's, it's not, not, not a problem. I mean, he's in jail at the moment. Right. Uh, placed himself into, and many of the XR people have placed themselves in a position to be arrested. And, but um, this one was uh, a... Uh, an invasion of the anti-uranium centre, the um, information centre, uranium Uranium information centre, get it right, because they they were the bogey people Mm. of the time. And so uh, uh, we can't remember what was for or Chernobyl. Yep. Was it about Chernobyl? Yeah, yeah, it was after after Uh, Chernobyl. Well, that, that was uh, 1986. Mm. Yeah. So we thought we would go in and um, superglue the door closed. Wow. And, and so th- this, was, this was pretty radical. So we had to have these private meetings so that no, none of this information could get out and uh, stopped. But um, they went into the inf- radio, um, uranium information centre, Isla amongst them, mm. milled around, but she'll tell you, and <laughs> super glued themselves in. Right. And to think that they weren't put in jail, for this is pretty amazing. But my role was on the phones. And so what, the whole time I'm on the phones ringing up radio stations, begging them to, well, not begging, but saying, this is really important. You have to put this on your news. But they didn't. Yeah. Yeah, of course they didn't. But it was pretty amazing for us. And they, they went to court and amazingly... Uh, was with Isla was fined six hundred dollars, which in those days, nineteen eighty six, we thought was an enormous amount mm. of money. But maybe Isla, you'd like to tell, say what happened actually in that arrest or offence? Um, yes, Linda, it was, um, it was. It was just after the uh, Chernobyl um, nu- nuclear disaster, where um, th- that led to the plumes of radioactive waste going over Europe and um, and and uh, Ukraine and and Belarus. And um, the Uranium Information Centre w- was saying that, um, that, that there'd been very few deaths and that it wasn't a problem. That the, and they were, they were putting out propaganda, really, that, that was saying that this terrible disaster wasn't going to affect people and their health. And uh, we just thought this was so outrageous. We wanted the correct information to be broadcast from that particular building. So we set up a, um, a sound system where we could broadcast out of their window to the street below and um, 
um, broadcast the correct information oh. about what had happened at Chernobyl. And, uh, yes, it's true, we did superglue the locks. And our, our spokesperson was a, um, a, a woman from the Movement Against Uranium Mining who was uh, 75, who I thought, was a, thought that was a great old age, 75. But, of, of course, now I think that she was just a, um, a, quite an active... Um, um, <laughs> Well, not so young, but not so old person. Now that, now that we're in that ballpark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so Jean, Jean was our spokesperson, and it, it was a really big day. And we had an enormous support team with us as well, the people that set up the, the outside broadcast and people that acted as support outside, and we, we were arrested. And, mm. um, and then um, we, we um, pleaded not guilty so that we would go to court because we thought it was important that um, our reasons for doing it were made public and so um, we mightn't have got much publicity from the actual action, but our um, court case uh, was reported in all the newspapers and Jean was um, quoted um, quite well. So, mm. that, that, so that was that action, yes. Yeah. And so how did you, you know, obviously um, you were talking about doing the nonviolent action training before Roxby and um, this arrestable action. How did you find those kind of interactions when you came um, head-to-head with police or authority figures or private security in your time during the, the anti-nuclear campaigning? It was interesting. When, when we were at Naranga, which was... Um, Dave might remember, or Isla might remember, 1990... Yeah, early 90s, 90, 90, two, three. Yeah, maybe, mm. something like that. We were, and so the idea at Narunga was to... Well, we all camped outside the base. Um, I should say, though, Narunga is in oh, northern South Australia, sorry. US yeah. satellite base used for missile targeting, now redundant and over. You, you forget mm. about that stuff you that do. people don't remember. Yeah, a little yeah. bit of context is useful. Yeah, it is useful. <laughs> But the idea was not, not to... Well, we had a lot of debate about whether we would cut the fence. And some people were saying, yes, you can cut the fence. And others saying that you can't even tie something onto the fence. But we actually climbed the fence and the, the police were all there lined up and then we just walked towards the police and were arrested. And it was interesting because the, the police officer who arrested me was just a country chap, in maybe in his 40s, and he was shaking. He was, he was so... Nervous, and I, I was soothing him. I was holding his hand and saying, telling him it was all right. And when he was filling in the form to to arrest me, I was telling him how to spell all the all my name, spell all the words. <laughs> he was just. But I think their their, their training has changed. Mm. I, I really do think their training has changed, and that wouldn't happen anymore. No no policeman, police officer would be f- nervous. Even country cops, they wouldn't be nervous about arresting people. It's interesting, you know, because, like, if you look at that, so there's a bunch of people in the desert, um, in the Gibber, um, saying no to a US base, and uh, all um, pretty seriously plugged into non-violence and deeply committed, thoughtful people, etc. And, um, you know, the local coppers are, uh, uh, have been told that we're feral mob and, and then they go from nervous to sort of a bit overwhelmed but Kim Beasley was the defence minister at the time and it's worth remembering Beasley mobilised the army to defend Narunga against mm. you know a bunch of Buddhists and greenies and peaceniks and stuff and it was the first time since the you know the coal strike when the coal strike was sent in to break union opposition to coal exports um, nice to see that again um, yeah. uh, but that was um, you know, it just this disproportionate response again mm. and again. Um, and sometimes I think one of the creative things that Foe's done is really take disproportionate power and, and sort of invert it a little bit. And one, one particular action that did that for me was after the bombing of the Rainbow Warrior. You know, French um, Secret Service bombed the Greenpeace flagship Rainbow Warrior in Auckland Harbour and killed a Spanish photographer. Um, and then they put pressure, massive diplomatic and economic pressure on... Um, New Zealand and got the two arrested Secret Service agents released to French custody on one of the Pacific Islands that France had at the time. Um, they were then did six months there and were taken back and given the Legion of Honour in Paris. Faux did this action where the name of the island was used and it was Rainbow Travel Promotion um, and call this number and be in the running for two weeks, all expenses paid, tropical paradise of... And the number was the French consulate. And they just got mm-hmm. completely flogged with phone calls. And like, I, I rung up two hours into the thing and it was like, we are not rainbow travel, we are not. <laughs> and um, it was fantastic. And just, it was cheeky, it was quick. Yep. It wasn't this big, intensive thing with let's have 16 strategy sessions. It was just let's turn this around, let's be cheeky, quick, and let's, you know, at least a little bit um, 
irritate and and rem, you know remind people, hold people a bit accountable. I like that sort of cheekiness of foe mm. and and the flexibility of foe. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think. So did you want to add to that, Linda? <laughs> oh, no, I just remember that very well because yeah. it was uh, Isla's daughter and uh, her friend, another dear friend of ours' daughter, who were actually giving out a lot of these leaflets. And they were, they were just simple photocopied things that these days you wouldn't even look at them. They're something that you get in your letterbox from the local tradesman who wants to rip you off it's, <laughs> it's, or not. Um, so you, you couldn't do it these days. Things have got so much more sophisticated. But... but those few hundred leaflets, people took them, because it's all pre-digital, it's pre-internet, um, pre-all this sort of stuff, and it worked. Mm. It worked brilliantly. But they still went back and got the Legion of Honour. And, but yeah, there's no more, uh, well, atmospheric testing yeah. at, uh, at the moment. Yeah. yeah. And that's that thing that, um, you know, I think that sometimes we can forget about, you know, Dave, you were talking before about how it's the absence of that we win and so you don't see... Um, you know, you don't see these things as wins, but actually we have come quite a long way. We were talking before, Ali, you were saying about how actually there was, you know, the norm was dumping waste. Ra- radioactive waste in the sea. Yes, yeah. when I first joined um, the anti-uranium collective of Friends of the Earth, there was still waste dumping of radioactive waste, barrels of radioactive waste at sea. And um, there was a huge international campaign and um, um, that, that ended. And there was also atmospheric tests going on. Um, when I first joined Friends of the Earth, and, and um, um, I, I remember huge big rallies in the city on a Friday night where um, the, the, you'd get um, over 5,000 people um, marching, saying no to, um, it was a French test then. Mm. Um, Australia had stopped their tests by that time. Yeah, so, so these things, we, we tend to look at the present-day campaign, um, but, but we have been making a difference, and it's important that we keep doing it. Yeah. So good on those people, those Extinction Rebellion people that are out there today, and and uh, my heart and mind's with them. Yeah, absolutely. It's nice to um yeah feel that legacy of um all of this happening over many years. Yeah. All right. Well, we might go to another song. Um, we've got Leave It in the Ground. Oh. Um, and, and maybe afterwards we can talk about the Radioactive Show because yeah. we've all been presenters on the Radioactive Show. Yes. Um, over the years, and this was uh, the theme tune. For many, many years. And thanks to Michaela for finding it for yep, us. Yeah, thanks, Michaela. My video tape recording from the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. In college football, it looks like the UCLA once again in the Rose Bowl. After their blazing victory over the Trojans of USC, the fourth quarter touchdown pass UCLA a 21-18 victory. 85,000 fans. Here's an urgent flash from our newsroom. In New York City. Oh my God. There's been a nuclear accident. I, I don't believe it. Hey, is this for real? My name is Jonah the Whale. Out on the oceans, I say. Out where the wind and the waves say you've nothing to say but yourself. Uranium round Leave it in the ground Don't cut 
Looking to connect with your local community and do something rewarding? Well, volunteering to lead a neighbourly ride could be exactly what you're after. The short 40-minute group rides are for all ages and ride levels. Help people build their confidence, feel supported while safely exploring the local areas of Brunswick, Carlton, Fitzroy and Northcote by bike. Volunteers receive free ride leader training, so go to neighbourlyride.com to contact us about volunteering. A 3CR supporter. This is 3CR. My name's M, and I'm bringing you the first installation of Friends of the Earth's little series on acting up, 45 years of creative resistance. We're celebrating our 45th birthday this year and bringing in the first show with some amazing people who have been involved with Friends of the Earth's anti-nuclear campaigning over the years. We've got Isla Marks, Linda Marks and Dave Sweeney in the studio. And we just heard the song Leave It in the Ground by Mook and that song was the intro song for the radioactive show on 3CR that, Linda, you were an anchor on that show for quite some time. Oh, I was. Uh, I, I can't remember. I, th- I think it must have been over 10 years I was an anchor for Eric. Who, mm. And uh, Isla was an anchor also before me. For, and before that, the, uh, Larry Marshall. And before that, I, I think a chap's name was Wayne. But I can't really remember because that was 1985, 1986, which is... Max Sargent. Max Sargent, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, all use this theme. All, all use this theme tune. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a great song. It is a great song. And hopefully we'll play it again throughout the series, I think. It was, a, it was yeah. good to hear it. But hopefully we don't need too many more songs about uranium mining because yes. we, we don't want it. Yeah. And the yeah. show does continue still, the radioactive show. We've got Michaela presenting that still at its usual time slot of 10 a.m. Saturdays. Yeah, and broadcast on the Comrade Sat or the National Public Radio Comrade. But it's, and it's still a really important and linking show, and, mm. it, and it links community struggle um, peace, energy, anti-nuclear issues right around Australia and the world. It's still like a really important and regarded show in the movement. I think one of the things too, Em, of like what Foe does is 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 sets up um, some platforms. Mm. You know, like the the radioactive show, like Chain Reaction magazine, like um, the regular sort of um, exposure to a concept of taking people to country, um, and um, a whole range of different things that that um, have a real uh, a, a real continuity, a real lasting impact. Yeah, absolutely. It's great that we've got those still going. And we've we've just covered so much already, I feel, but, you know, we've, we don't have lots of time left. So I reckon it would be good to talk about, maybe we can talk about the 90s, maybe we can talk about Jabaluka. Dave, you were involved as the campaign coordinator in the 90s for the Anti-Nuclear Collective, was that right? Yeah, I was, um, I was actually um, in the late 80s, mm. um, I think probably sort of 87 to... I don't know, 88 or, or 88 to, I don't know, something in the late 80s. And then I went overseas for a couple of years and then I came back um, and did a little bit of stuff with trade union staff, stick together show on, on 3CR and public radio, a little bit of media work with um, Oxfam. Um, and then Howard came in, March 1996. And I remember very clearly in the, um, the headline in the business Australian part of the newspaper, it was 25 new mines in U Bonanza. And Howard was saying, we will have 25 mines inside a decade, uranium mines, and we will be the Saudi Arabia of uranium. And, um, and I was uh, drawn into, like, um, you know, having a real crack at, at, at nullifying that nuclear vision. Um, and the first cab off the rank, one of the great strategic mistakes they picked was um, to pick... Um, the Jabaluka project to be the first one. And, you know, I can understand their logic. They just come in, they were bullish, they were, you know, neo-libs, neo-cons, and they were all bullish, and they were like, if they could break Jabaluka, they could break anything. If you could mine in a, Australia's largest national park against the wishes of Aboriginal people in a World Heritage area, you could do it anywhere. And they, they wanted more than Jabaluka. Oh, they? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Jabaluka was just the smashing ball for the whole wall. And um, so we went, like, we understood that, and... It was a major call to action to to lock in and to defend um, and to stop um, Jabaluka. And obviously the Mirar people, the mob who own that country and have forever, um, they opposed a ranger. That was imposed on them. 
they put out a call. Um, we answered that call and worked with them really strongly. And that blockade was, well, it was a multifaceted campaign over a number of years. Um, and it was a strong corporate campaign. There was a nine-month blockade on the ground in Kakadu, 5,000 people, 500 arrests. There was international work through uh, the European Parliament, through the World Heritage Committee, through all sorts of international initiatives and, and momentum because of Kakadu's World Heritage status. There was um, political interventions and inquiries and all sorts of stuff. So from, from the bush to the boardroom um, here and overseas, it was a really big campaign and, and it stopped what would have been a monster mine that had its approvals. And I think that's a really important thing to to remember too, like whether it's Adani that you're fighting or whatever the specific, it is possible um, to constrain, it is possible to overturn, even at the 11th hour. Mm. And that's really important to remember. Yep. It's good to um, think about some of those stories of, you know, um, yeah, I guess just in the face of Adani, which does seem so overwhelming and so coming down to the last hour, thinking about some of those big things that have gone in the past and, and how we kind of came together to get those those stopped. Absolutely. And that's for me, that's one of the from little things, big things grow. Because mm. individually, any of the 5,000 people that were at that blockade were not enough collectively. You know, all those actions in the cities, people riding, people lighting candles, people taking action, people saying no, people talking to their neighbours, all those things collectively Mm. was enough. Yeah. And, you know, I think Friends of the Earth still to this day has a kind of membership collective um, consensus decision-making kind of structure that's been a part of who we are. How did you find that kind of being a part of those campaigns? Yeah. Um, you know, someone once said to me that the hardest thing about community politics is the community. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like decentralised decision making, it's fantastic. I'm a great believer, but sometimes you just go, oh, God, can we just make a decision? It really doesn't have to be this hard. And sometimes, you know, it is a, a bit of a nightmare and onerous. Ultimately, ultimately, it is um, more engaging, more empowering. That decentralised thing um, is is deeply important. Um, I think, actually, though, at Friends of the Earth, I think um, we've actually got stronger over years and, the, and, and across the board in many organisations over years, a, a little bit more of a real-world ground truth about some decision-making. Mm. So the process is still important. Inclusion is important and understanding of power is important. But that's perhaps more important than how that manifests in, in you know, let's, we, we haven't taken 47 minutes to make this decision, therefore we've rushed it. I think um, that sort of finding a way where it, it holds to the principle of inclusion and awareness of power, while at the same time not becoming immobilised by process is, yep. is the challenge of our movement, it really. <laughs> and it's mm. one of the great frustrations. But when it hits a sweet spot, there's nothing quite like it. Mm. And there's still, even now, years down the track, one of my favourite things is at a Greenie-style demonstration protest when a, a copper who hasn't done the new generation training walks up and goes, who's in charge? <laughs> and that's just the opening line. that I just stand back and smile and watch it go from mm. there. Yeah, Linda, it happened to you yes, uh, on Monday, didn't it? No, uh, last Monday, last week, yes, yes. I was at uh, GHD and taking photos. And I look, pre- oh, I mean, I've got the, 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 the grey hair and I looked pretty impressive taking all those photos and organising people. I was actually just organising Isla to hold the banner a bit straighter. <laughs> and I, w- I was asked, you know, <laughs> who's in charge? And I looked at the copper and I said, I'm not sure, <laughs> although I did know. But the woman next to me actually told him, which I think was a pity. <laughs> It's all about that uh, creative play with <laughs> how you <laughs> share is. the information. Yes. Yeah. yeah, great. Well, we've got about 10 minutes to four. You're listening to 3CR. This is Em. I'm here presenting Friends of the Earth's 45 Years of Creative Resistance radio series. We might just go to a CSA and come back very shortly. From October the 28th to the 31st, some of the worst climate criminals will be gathering for the International Mining Conference, IMARC, at the Melbourne Convention Centre. Blockade IMARC is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. We need your help to be part of this blockade. Find out how at blockadeimark.com or check out our Facebook page, Blockade IMARC a 3CR supporter. 
For 45 years, Friends of the Earth has been mobilising communities to resist the destructive industries like coal, gas, nuclear, and to transform our world into somewhere better. Come celebrate with us as we celebrate 45 years of creative resistance. 25th of October at the Gasometer, doors open at 8pm with a welcome to country at 9pm. The lineup includes Alicia Joy, Hello Tut Tut, Mortisville, Claddy, and more. You know it'll be fun because it's Friends of the Earth. See you there. You can get tickets online or at our famous food co-op at 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. Friends of the Earth are a proud supporter of 3CR. Yes, and if you want to come and celebrate 45 years with us, come along to the Gasso. It's going to be a blast. You are listening to 3CR, and we're coming to the close of our first episode of a bit of a retrospective of Friends of the Earth's 45 Years of Creative Resistance. I've got Isla, Linda, and Dave in the studio with me. And, you know, there's just there's almost not enough time to cover everything that we wanted to, but we did want to just make a quick mention of the Radioactive Tours, which were started by Isla and Linda, and which we're going to have a show dedicated to later in the 45 Years series. So did you just want to quickly say a few words about that? Well, really, it was started by Isla and Eric um, mm. uh, after Roxby, and Isla and Eric going up up to the Mount Springs area and talking to well, talking to the the people who'd been before, and also talking to the Aboriginal people, the traditional owners of that area. Um, they went up up first, and then the next year I went with them. All, all happening during school holidays, remember, because um, both Isla and myself are teachers, mm. and just going out with with you know a, a couple of carloads of people. And the radioactive tours would just became so important. So they, it is worthwhile that we're going to have a show on the yeah. tours because they were <laughs> fabulous. Yeah, and mm. still going, and which is still great. Going, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. it'll be yeah, it'll be really good to get yeah. to. The, the, the first time we went up there, it was actually at the invitation of the Arabana hmm. because they were concerned about what was happening to their water cause, because um, they, they knew that um, rocks would be taking water out of the Mount Springs and that they could see their, their bores and springs were were lo- losing water, that, the, that they were uh, running dry. And um, in the, the original EIS said that um, three of their springs would, would dry up. And so they, they sent a... Um, it was a fax. I don't know if anyone mm. knows what a fax is, but it's attached to a telephone. You get printed paper off it. And uh, they sent us a fax saying, um, come, come and do a show on what's happening to our water and bring um, um, the 7.30 report with you. Wow. So all, all they got was me and Eric with a, with a little um, um, uh, disc thing that you re- recorded things on. I think it was called a tape deck. Yeah, tape deck, a, yeah, tape, right. tape deck just a little tape. portable one. And that, that, so we went up there and we... we Met with people, and uh, we were able to go on with the Mount Springs, and then we started going up there more regularly. Mm. And um, one year we had 17 people with us, and it was it was just a bit crazy. And so when we got back, I said to the the, the collective, "Look, we really just need to formalise this and call it a radioactive radioactive exposure tour, and put a bit more substance into it." And and that's how it all started. Yeah, and it's important to remember those tours, I think, because up um, with around the Carmichael mine, they have a lot of springs. And those springs also have have unique flora and fauna within mm, them because okay. they've they've grown up uh, in the one spot and they they can't move from that spot. And so once those springs have dried up, as like the springs of Roxby, those have dried up. That's the demise of those species. Mm, yeah. Mm, so All right. Well, we might have to uh, sorry, <laughs> move on. Cut you off there, but we will be hearing from both of you later in the series about the radioactive tours. So look forward to that. Just to finish off the show, though, we just wanted to. Mention that, you know, it's still ongoing, the struggle and some of these issues. Dave, did you want to give us an update on where you think things are at at the moment? Yeah, well, you're absolutely right, Emma. It, it is still this. We're talking history, but the history is repeating itself. We've got now the business end of the season of the latest iteration of a federal government push for um, to put nuclear waste in regional South Australia. Um, where that is Minister Canavan wants to make a decision on a site, highly contested, um, deeply unnecessary and irresponsible by Christmas of this year. 
Um, so the whole radioactive waste issue remains live. There's a, a strong push. We've got a very active anti-nuclear movement in Western Australia, which is opposing moves to open uranium mines in WA. We've mm. got very active groups tracking Rio Tinto at Ranger so that they clean up properly and don't cut corners, which has been so often the story. We have groups really mobilising again. Like it's, I said before, that you need to fight victories that you should have won and put to bed. You know, we're now fighting again. Story about, you know, domestic nuclear power. Absurd, expensive, unnecessary, yeah. risky. Um, so, you know, and then ICANN, a Melbourne-born initiative, again, a From Little Things, Big Things Grow initiative that picked up the Nobel Prize and is taking really positive steps to making nuclear weapons illegal. And we've got, you know, increasing numbers or, or rather power in nuclear weapons and really risky people with their fingers on the buttons. So these things are still real. So we're building on this history and this legacy of community and action and movement, but those struggles are still real and they're still existential and they're still with us today. And so I suppose FOE's got a really rich history in the journey of moving Australia from a driver of dirty energy and dirty ways of doing business to a champion of clean. Mm, that's it. And, yeah, if you know you're out there listening and you want to get involved, you can always come along to a... Uh, anti-nuclear collective meeting at Friends of the Earth. Check um check out their website or Facebook page for that. And that's all we've really got time for today. So thanks so much, Isla and Linda and Dave, for joining me. It's been a real pleasure to get to chat to you all today. Thanks. It's been great to talk. You're very welcome. You're fun. welcome. Thank you. And uh, thanks for tuning in to our first episode of this history series. I'm really looking forward to the rest of them. If you tune in next week at 3pm, we're going to be looking at the Indigenous Solidarity Gatherings that Friends of the Earth organised back in 97 and 98. And Indigenous sovereignty, like we spoke about today, it has been at the core of a lot of the work that we've done. Um, obviously, the Jabaluka campaign, uh, Friends of the Earth worked closely with the Yorta Yorta Native title claim back in the 90s as well, and uh, the International Solidarity Gatherings were a big part of that as well. And we've got some audio from the conference that we'll be playing for you, as well as a few people who were involved with the conference will be joining us in the studio. So that's next week on the show. And if you're listening out there and you've been involved with the Friends of the Earth campaign over the years and you'd like to get in touch, you can give us a call at Friends of the Earth or hop onto our Facebook page and send us a message. And you can listen back to the show on 3cr.org.au slash acting up. Up next, we've got Jan's Tuesday Home Time, which is another long-standing radical current affairs show, bringing you voices from the international grassroots campaigns. And we might just go out on a song, another one that our lovely guests today have brought in for us. This one is a song by Judy Small. Here we go. Thanks for joining us today. Mother
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.